Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. I've asked my wife if she would come for just a moment and uh, greet all of you, those of you that are here and the majority of you that are joining us tonight through Facebook. Amen. Um, this is a, a weird time for the church. It's a, probably none of us have ever been in this place before um, of just uncertainty. And that brings with it such a burden. I know today I was kind of overwhelmed with the feeling of... Uh, of just how do I walk my children through this time, remaining calm and, and a sense of peace when even within myself, I'm, there's some fears. There's some, some things that I'm trying to work through myself, and then I've, I've got to try to tell my children, we got this. It's going to be all right. And um, a scripture that came to me was Psalms chapter 55, verse 22, and it just simply says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain thee what a promise from the Lord and what a sense of peace we can have that these this heaviness that we feel in our spirit of what's what's to come next in ways it it's exciting because we can say man this is going to be a great time for the church we're going to see revival absolutely believe that but dealing with the day-to-day uncertainty is a weight on you and and I'm so thankful that we can go to the Lord and cast it on him and he cares the Bible says we can cast our cares on him for he careth for you and that's such a that's such a place that's why God is our refuge it's a place we can run into and say all right God I do not know what's going on I don't know what the future holds I don't even know what's gonna happen tomorrow but I can cast my cares on you and I can run into him as my strong tower. And I just want to encourage you, let the word of God be your peace. That's, that's all we know. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what tomorrow's bringing. But I do know, and this sounds so cliche, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we can rest assured in that. That's the only thing that I have as a guarantee is God is faithful. He's in control, and we can trust him through all of this. And I want to encourage you, especially you mothers out there who are trying to walk your children through this and trying to navigate plans and and things have been disrupted, and we're trying to work through it. Um, But God is our refuge, and he's our peace. And anything that we can do for you, please reach out to us. We will do everything that we can as long as we can. And I miss all of you out there watching from home. I wish you were here. Um, But stay safe and wash your hands. (laughs) You You guys can be seated. Thank you. Um, Yeah, definitely uncertain times. And navigating this, we need the help of the Lord. And uh, I just am, I don't know what the countdown's at, but I'm counting down the days until we'll all be back together again. And what a time we're going to have the next time we're all in the building together. Amen. Uh, But before we get into the lesson, and I think that there was, uh, the handout was emailed 
at least you have the opportunity to, or should have had the opportunity to download that. Certainly, if you don't, uh, you don't have to do the handout right now. We would have the ushers. Uh, I could see Brother Barry right now scrambling to make sure the ushers were handing them out. But um, anyway, the handouts, we're going to follow those in just a minute. Before we get into that, though, I do want to say thank you to Brad and Simone who came, and they're going to be here again Sunday helping us, making sure that we have a good uh, live feed for you all and, and all of the stuff that goes with that. Now, we may need one screen, if we can, for the folks that are here for the fill-in-the-blanks. That might help them, or they could turn around. Um, but before we get into the lesson tonight, just some things I want to address to the church. Um, I know that these are uncertain times. Uh, I never thought that I would be called to preach to an empty church. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. There have been some decisions I made that I thought maybe I'll show up Sunday and nobody will be there. But you all have been faithful and you've been here. I know that our world right now is frightened and many of us, I know, are battling that that anxiety, that worry. And I want to remind you, Sunday, I felt like God gave me that for this church, for this season. Remember to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. Again, I say rejoice. Amen. That, uh, that peace that passes understanding, right? We rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, uh, we uh, pray. Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to, all of that worry and anxiety. I'm figuring out. That was more than just a sermon I preached. That was God giving me a word. I can't handle the anxiety. The only way I can make it through this is I've got to take that anxiety and put it on him, all right? And then uh, think, all right? Rejoice, pray, think. Think on things that are lovely. Think on things that are pure, things that are true, things that are holy, of a good report. Think on those things, amen? Don't let all the bad news consume you or you will never, peace will never pass all understanding. And then finally, again, act. Here it is now. We've been fed. How many Sundays and Wednesdays have we come to church and been fed the word of God? And Paul said, now it's time to act on it. Everything you've heard, everything you've learned, everything you've seen, everything you've watched me do, Paul said, uh, certainly that's not exclusive to me, Bishop, that was here before me, and the elders in this church and leaders as he watched them. Now it's time to put those things into action, all right? Uh, help one another out. I know we're in a season where if there's a loaf of bread we're going to beat somebody up to get it. And that's, the, that's the culture that we're in, the environment of panic and fear. But let's, let's extend brotherly love to one another. All right, and This is really where we get to live the scripture out in this season. Uh, I would also like to ask you to please continue to pray for me and for pastors and ministers around our country. These are uncharted waters and it's new territory. I, I can call elders. In fact, I have. I've talked to my dad. I've talked to elders I've asked them for counsel, and uh, honestly, they don't, have, uh, they don't have experience to draw from in this matter either because nobody's been here before. This is new territory. And, and so everybody, every pastor that I know is uncertain. How do we move forward? What do we do with our churches during this time? I, I'm sure that there may be some that may be even questioning the call to not have church. Why are we not all together, pastor? You lack faith. Why aren't we just... You know, going ahead forward with church anyhow, uh, regardless of the limitations that have been expressed by government officials, why, why don't we go ahead forward with this? And I would, I've obviously, I have fought with that same question myself. Is it a lack of faith, what we're doing tonight? Is it lack of faith that I've asked you to join us by live stream and not be here in person? Or is it wisdom? And I guess in, in this scenario, time will tell. 
Time will be the judge. But I do know that once this crisis is passed, we still have to have a presence in this community. And so what we do during this time is not just about us, but it's about the people watching us. And if they view that we're putting our community at risk by what we're doing, doesn't matter how much faith we have, we're going to come out of this with not having a name in our community that's worth anything. So what I do know is that in the book of Acts, after Jesus had given the early church the command to go into all the world, he empowered them. Just a few chapters later, he empowered them in, uh, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost so that you can be my witnesses. And then he gave him the Holy Ghost. But then after that, the church fizzled into a non-impacting conglomerate that was abiding simply in Jerusalem. He said, go into all the world. Here's the power to do it. They got the power to do it and then went nowhere with it. They stayed in Jerusalem. But then we find just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says that a man by the name of Saul, we know would later become Paul, that Saul began making havoc of the church, entering into houses and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Verse 4 says this, that therefore, because of Saul's persecution, that they were scattered abroad and then they went everywhere preaching the word. God allowed persecution to come to the church to get them to actually be the church. And I believe this, where we're at right now, did not take God by surprise. He's not shocked right now about coronavirus. He's not shocked about the decisions that church leaders are having to make right now. He's not shocked at all by any of this. God allowed persecution to come to the early church to move them away from stagnation within the church to actively preaching without the church. Now, some would say tonight, and I've seen it many posts and people say that, you know, this building isn't the church. It's time to be the church. This building isn't the church. And, and, I, and I agree to some extent, but I would say major, in a majority, I don't agree. Because the early church did not totally discount the building. They, they did minister from the house to house, but the Bible says they also ministered in the synagogue. So I don't think this building and what it means to us is insignificant. All right, I'm not going to jump on the soapbox of saying this is not the church. This is a big part of the church, but it's not all of the church. The problem is when this becomes all of the church to us and we become stagnated in here rather than taking the gospel to our world. The problem was that it was the ministry of the gospel was not reaching its intended target. I've been talking to friends of mine and I've been praying and I've been seeking the Lord. And the problem presently is that every time we start to get some idea of how we're going to go forward, right? Well, we're going to limit to 250, and then they change it to 50. Well, we're going to go to small groups, and then they take it down to 10. And so here we are, and, and who knows what's next? I don't, it's hard to make a plan because I don't know what's coming next. So I'm asking you tonight, please pray, not just for me, but for every pastor in North America that God would give us wisdom. With that said, it's time for the church to be activated. There are people right now at your job, in your neighborhood, that are going to be open to what you had to say, to your testimony, to the gospel, that a month ago they would have argued over the details of doctrine. A month ago they would have had no ear to hear what you've got to say, but the climate is being changed right now. People are desperate for answers. People are looking for hope. And so this is the hour. Amen. Now the limit may be 10 but you and your neighbor, you and your coworker can come, and plus me, that's about four or five, and we'll baptize them in Jesus' name. I would love to see that we've got to start scheduling baptisms so we don't have 10 people in the building at the same time. 
This is our hour to not just be in the church, but to actively be the church in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our community. So here's my commitment. That as long as we have internet access, I'll be here every Sunday and every Wednesday as long as this goes. Now, if they put us on mandatory lockdown, and, and again, I want to thank those, the Sylvia family and my family have come between our families. We've got a, a decent band and a pretty good praise team. Well, pretty good praise team and a pretty good, I don't want to say decent and pretty good. That makes one feel less than the other. We're just, we're missing a few instruments is what I meant by that. Uh, but we've got a great praise team. How about that? And a great band. Uh, but, so thank you for their sacrifice. And, and we're glad Maddie's home from college safely. And uh, Cameron's home from college safely. Amen. And Dakota was on the praise team tonight and tore it up up there. But we will be here as long as we've got internet. And as long as the mandate stays what it is right now, we're going to be here Sunday morning and we're going to have church. And I'm going to preach like the building is full. All right. We're going to have a move of God and you're going to have a move of God in your living room. All right. Uh, if for some reason they put us on restriction, we can't leave our home, then the praise team will get smaller. And, and, and the, the, the preaching will get a little bit more intimate because I'll pre be preaching from my living room. Uh, but I promise you, and, and then obviously beyond that, if we lose internet, there are some things that are out of my control, but I promise you, if that happens, I will be praying for you. So Sunday, I'm asking you, we're going to have service via Facebook. Again, if they lift the restriction before Sunday, um, we'll be right back on with church and we'll let you know. But if not, we're asking you to join us at 11 o'clock on Sunday and invite your friends. I think it's called a Facebook watch party. Is that right? I don't even know how to do it. Those of you that logged in last night from my test run on Facebook, uh, you know that I don't know what I'm doing. So I know what to tell you to do. Invite your friends to a Facebook watch party. Amen. Again, people are going to watch that would not watch normally. Uh, backsliders, invite them. I believe there are going to be people that during this season are going to reconnect to Living Hope through our services that we're going to be streaming. We are not going to stop being or even having church, but during this season, we're going to move forward. Amen. I believe the church is going to experience great revival during this time, however long it is. We're going to have revival. All right. So right now we're going to get into our lesson tonight, and we're going to continue our uh, series. Amen. The 12 Apostles of Hell. And for all of our guests that are logging in right now, that probably sounds a little strong. If you've not been, you're like, what in the world am I logging into? Uh, it, it's, it's not spooky. It's empowering. Uh, this series is about how can we be effective in spiritual warfare. And just as Jesus had 12 apostles uh, that were very called for specific reasons because of uh, anointings that were upon them, that, we, that I think we can determine by looking at the scripture, there are 12 predominant spirits that are identified in the Bible as uh, spirits that attack the church and those being the 12 apostles of hell. And so uh, if we can identify these 12 spirits, uh, then we can be effective in defeating them in spiritual warfare. So review, first of all, those that have greater effectiveness in spiritual warfare possess three abilities. First of all, they're able to look beyond the traits that are being manifest and identify the predominant spirit that is causing the issue. Secondly, they are skilled in how to deal with it, which is what these lessons are about. But thirdly, there has to be the desire to be free from it. The three battlefields of spiritual warfare, it begins with obsession. And this is where spiritual warfare begins. And it happens when 
The adversary strives to consume our minds. I promise you this last week you have, you have battled the spirit of fear. Every, everybody in our nation has battled the spirit of fear. So last week we talked about the spirit of fear and how we war against that, all right? Again, that was God preparing us for where he knew we were going. So it begins in our minds. Secondly is oppression. And that's where it goes beyond just a thought. And now it begins to impact our actions. And then thirdly, it becomes possession. And this takes place when the individual just accepts that's normal. That's just the way it is. I'm a fearful person. Not that I'm battling fear, but now I'm a fearful person. Their resolve has been weakened by oppression to the place that they're now controlled by the spirit uh, that torments them. So tonight we're going to cover the ninth of the 12 apostles of hell and we're going to take the ninth spirit of hell from the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 15. So if you want to look that up in your Bibles there at home or on your iPads um, or I think it's actually, it may be there in your handout even. Is it in your handout? No, it's not. All right, so you can look that up. As you are, I want to say this, that we are working as a leadership team to develop some ideas that we can do for uh, Sunday school. Right? During this time that we can bring Sunday school to your home, uh, again, the plan isn't in place yet. We're just throwing, we're, we're okay, but we're, what's not going to happen, Living Hope is not going to sit around and wait for church to happen again, all right? We're, we're going to be creative. We're going to pray that God will give us creative ideas, and we're going to do everything we can to provide resources to your family so that this is a time of fruit and not death, amen? amen. So Romans eight fifteen says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Amen. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. And so tonight we're going to talk for a few minutes about the spirit of bondage. Amen. While God did not specifically identify this spirit until the book of Romans, it existed long before Romans was ever written and is now more rampant than ever, spirit of bondage. It is the spirit that encompasses many of the maladies that are wreaking havoc in our present society. The victims of this spirit are among both strangers and friends. Victims of this spirit stand on street corners as well as in our homes. The victims of this spirit sit in shelters as well as sit around our tables. Be assured the victims of the spirit of bondage are seen every day. There are people that we work with, people that we live with, people that we're related to, and people that we pass by every day as we go through the normal routines of life. All of us know someone somewhere in our world who is battling a vicious warfare with the spirit of bondage. God identified this demonic general of evil when the apostle Paul, speaking about how God's grace had set them free, reassured the people whose souls had risen above sin in the passage that we read, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. God delivered you out of sin, and it's not his desire that you become a slave to that sin again. And that's what the spirit of bondage does, is it makes us a slave to sin. Sadly, an unfortunate number of saints and sinners know far too well exactly what it means to be in the yoke of bondage. Amen. An unfortunate number of both saints and sinners. I would tell you to touch three people right now and tell them, but nobody's supposed to touch anybody anyhow, and there might not be three people around you right now. An unfortunate number of saints and sinners know far too well exactly what it means to be in the yoke of bondage. While the spirit of bondage is a brutal reality among lost souls, and 
And most of the time when we think of these spirits, we think of the lost. It's the lost that are bound. But I would say it's also the silent hypocrisy of some, even in the church, who claim salvation. I find it a horrible travesty of righteousness that the spirit of bondage claims victims among both the church and the unchurched. So let's look real quickly at the manifestations of the spirit of bondage. I know that they're, uh, they're on your papers and they're on the screen right now for you to see. There is first the addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs, addiction to gambling, addiction to medication, addiction to nicotine, addiction to video games, anguish of spirit, anorexia, bulimia, broken spirit, compulsive behavior, condemnation, constant lack of integrity, deception, domination by someone else, driven to failure, embarrassment, feelings of hopelessness, frustration, gluttony, inability to overcome a sinful trait, kleptomania, perpetual weakness to a specific transgression, resignation to enslavement, self-loathing, shame, stealing, unstable, and untrustworthy. Those are the traits, again, that we've got to be able to, uh, instead of just dealing with the trait, we need to look deeper than that. That's what makes us effective in spiritual warfare and identify that the reason I'm dealing with these manifestations is because there is an underlying spirit of bondage that needs to be dealt with. As stated earlier in the study of hell's predominant spirits, much is to be gained when we move beyond the traits that are being manifest and we move to prayer against the root of the real spirit that is causing one's spiritual warfare. The importance of this is further magnified when it comes to the spirit of bondage. We all know somebody who is trapped in bondage to any number of things ranging from the mundane to the malicious. Addictions were once seen in alcohol and drug abuse. Sociologists have now added to the list of addictions such things as video games or even political anxiety. And that was written before where we're at right now. But we can become addicted to, even right now, we can become addicted to the news and we can become addicted to these things that cause us anxiety. Uh, and, And even sociologists have added these things to the list of things which humanity can become addicted to. To that end, it's easy to pray against a spirit of alcoholism or a spirit of drug addiction. However, while these are very real adversaries, truly waging spiritual warfare against the root of the problem may require not just praying against the spirit of alcoholism or drug addiction, but praying against the spirit of bondage. Truly waging spiritual warfare is not just Lord, deliver that person from the spirit of alcoholism or Lord, deliver that person from drug addiction, but God, deliver them from a spirit of bondage. As surely as drinking alcohol is sinful, there are others who have become a slave to alcohol by the spirit of bondage. While drugs are a sinful vice, there are others whose lives are chained to its brutal indignity through a spirit of bondage. Sadly, those embattled by the spirit of bondage often will not totally sell out to God because their hearts have become convinced that they cannot break free. So just praying against the spirit of alcoholism isn't going to work in and of itself because that spirit of bondage has them already convinced that they can't break free, right? What's the old story of 
the birds inside the cage, that they had been there so long that when the door was open, they, couldn't, they, they didn't fly out because they had been convinced that they couldn't go beyond that. That's what the spirit of bondage does, that even if God breaks the stronghold of that spirit, the, the, the specific spirit, that you, you couldn't be free anyhow because you, you don't have the ability to believe that you could be free. Amen. So there are those that are embattled. Those that are embattled by the spirit of bondage will not totally sell out to God because they're convinced they cannot break free. They're convinced that they cannot escape the drug addiction. They don't believe that they can break free from the bottle. They see themselves as hopelessly shackled to those habits in their life. They have been persuaded that they can't shake off the heavy chains that bind them to that unholy hobby. They truly believe that they cannot live without that love interest in their life. Pastor's going to preach and even when nobody's in the building. Understanding the spirit of bondage is morally, socially, and emotionally cruel. We need to know that. The spirit of bondage is a cruel spirit. And it doesn't have any remorse for the devastation that shackles of sin cause in a person's life. It has no regard for the lives that are left fragmented and broken and can ultimately only be healed by the power of God at work in our life. How many people have we seen whose lives have been utterly destroyed by alcoholism and by drug addiction? Just know that that underlying spirit of bondage has no remorse when, when they lose their families. The, the devil has no remorse when that spirit that has convinced them that they can't be free and knowing that that, that that vice is destroying them, they continue to stick with it even to their own destruction because the spirit of bondage has convinced them that they can't be free. Men who walk away from their families because of their bondage to alcohol. Spouses who forsake their God-given families because they became enslaved in lust for another person. Individuals carelessly casting away their dignity, having most of their belongings repossessed while emotionally becoming chained to a video game. I have personally, I, even this church has had people over the years that have come here that I have known that their own mothers sold them uh, into prostitution uh, in order for that mother to support her own drug addiction, her own drug habit. That, that what it, why, why would a mother do that? Because of spirit of bondage. That, that it would take her to such, such drastic measures that we, we couldn't even fathom doing that. But that spirit of bondage knows no limits. It will destroy everything it can get a hold of. Adults abusing children because of their addiction to pornography. We could go on and on, chronicling the life and vices to which humanity can find themselves enslaved. While the many manifestations may vary, all of them bear the same spiritual identification. So every one of these addictions that we've talked about have one thing in common. Is that thing in common alcoholism? Perhaps it can be. Is it drugs? Is that what the, these folks battle with? It might be. Is it pornography? In some situations. Is it other vices? Often. Is it bondage? Yes, always. The alcoholic, the drug addict, those that are bound to pornography, amen, every one of those vices have one thing in common, and that is the spirit of bondage. The thing to know about the spirit of bondage is that it does not have to be anything as openly sinful as nar narcotics or alcoholic beverages. Amen. When we say spirit of bondage, well, that's the alcoholic, that's the drug addict. But it's, it's not just that. It can be mundane and 
normal everyday things in our lives such as video games, worldly music, questionable entertainment. Even those things can become bondage to individuals who allow them to control their lives. Any addiction in your life that keeps you from drawing closer to God, regardless of how harmless it seems, is absolutely not the will of God. If tonight, whatever that vice is for you, that, that as the, the Holy Ghost will begin to prompt you and you say, well, I can't live without that, understand you're battling a spirit of bondage. All right? if, if the pastor's talking about video games and your spirit is getting ruffled up a little bit, know that there's a good chance that you're dealing with the spirit of bondage. Am I telling you that, that video games are going to send you to hell? No, we're talking about the spirit of bondage that won't let you proceed in your relationship with God, that, that you begin to neglect other relationships because of the time that you're spending in that vice, whatever it may be. Never forget, the children of Israel made a great exodus from Egypt. What a miracle it was, the Passover, and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, the Red Sea crossing. What a miracle. But even in spite of that miraculous deliverance that God gave to them, they still struggled with the desire, always, every time they came to a place in their life of difficulty, somebody spoke up and said, let's go back to Egypt. Because they never escaped the mentality of bondage that they continually carried. So you can come out of Egypt. You can get deliverance from that vice that you're battling. But if you don't get delivered from the spirit of bondage, every time you get to a difficult place, you're going to run right back to that thing. While the broken lives of some seem to paint a picture of the spirit of bondage's goal as demoralizing reputation, crushing dignity, and doing a irreparable damage to one's character, that's not the entire picture. While some of those manifestations do show up in some lives, the ultimate objective of the spirit of bondage is to enslave a person's spirit so that they stop believing in their own ability to ever rise above the unholy element hindering them. Say, well, pastor, I'm okay with this vice in my life. I'm not leaving my family. It hasn't ruined my life. You know, I'm not, I'm not in the gutter. You know, I haven't lost everything. I'm doing okay. That's not always the objective of the enemy. He simply just wants to get you a place where you stop believing that you can rise above that. When individuals reach that point, they see any attempt at coming back to God as far too humiliating, far too hard, or far too out of reach. So whether your spiritual battle is with illegal vices or common corruption, whether it's with alcoholism or a compulsion with video games, let us consider some of the steps that it takes to overcome the demonic spirit of bondage. Step number one, be quick to recognize Satan's devices. Be quick to recognize Satan's devices. I did not say Satan's devices, Satan's devices. Amen. Some of y'all I've shared before, there was a youth event that I spoke at in Canada several years ago, and when I got there, all the promotions they sent out uh, announced that Brother Satan was going to be preaching the conference. Uh, amen. It's, it's hard enough to preach to people when they, when they know you're Satan. It's another thing to try to get people convinced that Satan has a word for them. So anyway, I don't know why I went there. There's not even a crowd to laugh at my corny jokes tonight. But <laughs> be quick to recognize Satan's devices. We should possess an awareness of anything in our lives that could become a bondage to our spirit. 
rather than inventorying our lives and saying, can I get away with this? We need to inventory our lives and say, is this something that has the potential of being a spirit of bondage in my life? All right, there's a big difference there. Many approach their walk with God and with can I get by with that instead of saying, can I do without that? Can I, would, is this keeping me from getting closer to God? All right, we cannot afford to minimize the effect that even our seemingly innocent hobbies or habits can have on our walk with God. Overcoming the spirit of bondage requires recognizing anything can be a vice. That should say vice, not device. With the potential to ensnare our lives and stalemate our walk with God. Okay, If we're going to overcome the spirit of bondage, we have to recognize anything can be a vice with the potential to ensnare our lives and stalemate our walk with God. The spirit of bondage does its most deadly work in the lives of those who are ignorant of its ways. Regardless of how much you may love God, if you remain ignorant or even indifferent about those things that can become a bondage to you, you become an open prey for the demonic attack of the spirit of bondage. The adage that I know we've all used that suggests that ignorance is bliss is terribly costly in our spiritual walk with God. When it comes to the spirit world, ignorance is not bliss, but it is a dangerous advantage to an adversary who is looking for any advantage in your life to bring about your destruction. God emphasized this through the writing of the prophet Hosea when he said in Hosea chapter four, verse six, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If you're going to defeat the spirit of bondage, you must refuse to be ignorant of the adversary's tactics. Take note of anything that you are getting too wrapped up in or that begins controlling certain areas of your life. Anything that you become, you're starting to get emotionally wrapped up in. Amen, you're start, you can't live without that. Gotta have that, all right? Develop a godly sensitivity capable of recognizing anything in your world with the potential to captivate your spirit and destroy your salvation. Step number two is break every unholy pattern. Break every unholy pattern. Sins, and most certainly sinful vices, are continually strengthened by the patterns that we fall into. It has been my observation that most of the people who continually have spiritual struggles and constant failures do so because of the patterns they continue to follow in their world. How many of you know, like if, if uh, 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 a detective or an officer, if you have somebody who's wanting to bring harm to you or maybe somebody stalking you, that they're gonna tell you the best thing you can do is break up your pattern. Don't do the same thing every day because that person is gonna study your habits and then they're gonna set a trap for you. They're going to be waiting for you. And so it is when we set patterns in our life, when we begin to set ungodly patterns that open the door for the enemy, we become ensnared by that thing. This is why some people seem to backslide at the same time of the year every year. Right? The problem is they have overcome their past sin, but they never overcame the pattern that, they, that made them fail God over and over. Some people fail, backslide every time NFL season starts. Because all of a sudden, they start missing church, right? And, and then after the season's over, they, they repent and come back to God, get their life right again, and then NFL season comes along, and they backslide again, or their kid's t-ball season comes along, all right? Whatever it is, 
And, and I know right now I can't see your faces. If you get offended at me, you've got a long while to pray through over it. All right? But those patterns in our life, we, we can never grow in our relationship with God because there are certain seasons in our life where we don't mind missing the house of God because it's a certain season in our life. Now, I hope if nothing else during this season where we can't be all together, I pray it gives you a greater appreciation for the people of God. Amen. Already tonight, I feel a greater appreciation for the people of God. I truly miss every one of you. I wish I could look out right now and see your faces. Uh, but those patterns that we develop, that, that, that we, we never grow in our walk with God because those patterns in our life. And, and as soon as we start to rise above it, that, that season comes around again. If we can backslide over something as simple as a sporting season, how much more important is it when it comes to the, main, the many sinful vices people in our society battle every day. So we're talking in the church about the struggle we have to, to overcome things because of maybe a sporting season or a hunting season or whatever it may be. But think of our society and the sinful vices and the patterns that people that, that aren't in the church, the patterns their lives are in. Amen. If you're helping someone in the struggle against the spirit of bondage or if you personally are battling the spirit of bondage, you simply must look at any unholy patterns in your life and break them immediately. All right? If the Dallas Cowboys are keeping you from growing, you need to break up with the Cowboys. All right? Or the Redskins. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter the team. If I can't make it to the house of God, if every September I backslide because the NFL season kicks off, it's time for me to break up with that team. Because that team is not worth my eternity. All right, whatever that season may be. If, if you can't be faithful to the house of God with your children involved in a sporting thing, can I tell you, it'd be better to break up with that sport. Say, well, no, they need that. No, what they need is the house of God. Break up with it immediately. This means you cannot keep doing the things you once did. Or you will keep falling back into the sins you once committed. All right, if you're struggling with alcoholism, don't go play horseshoes behind the bar. If God delivered you from alcoholism, right, don't, don't, don't go play, uh, you know, uh, Uno or whatever cards. They, they probably don't play Uno at the bar, but don't go play spades at the bar. All right, you're, if, you, if you keep that pattern in your life, you're going to keep falling back into that sin that you were once delivered out of. You can't go to the places you once went or you will end up trapped in the sin you once escaped. You can't hang out with the crowds you once used to hang out with or you will end up doing the things that you did with them. Step number three, learn to exercise your spiritual authority. God knows the power of exercising your spiritual liberty as well as liberty's ability to keep you from being entangled again to the spirit of bondage. The power of me exercising my liberty, but also the power of that liberty as I exercise it is gonna keep me from going back to what I used to do. In fact, one of the major themes of the epistles is the importance of not being in bondage to anything but God. I do want to be bound by one thing. I want to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, many times throughout the epistles, Paul announced him out himself as a slave to Jesus Christ. So my goal is not to, be, not to be a captive of anything. I want to be a captive of the love of Jesus Christ. One writer expressed it this way in Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where, wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
This is God's way of saying, I have set you free, but you have to keep your spiritual liberty alive if you intend never to get caught in any other trap the spirit of bondage may send your way. There is a reason why one can scarcely speak about breaking the bondage of the enemy without quoting the following proclamation, Isaiah 10 and 27. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. For every individual who struggles with the spirit of bondage, immediately after you find salvation, or whether that's first time salvation, baptism, repentance, baptism, infilling the Holy Ghost, or deliverance from that vice that, that maybe even after salvation you've still been enslaved to a vice, as soon as you get salvation from that vice, what you need to do is find a consuming passion to exercise the liberty that God's anointing gives to you. To truly escape the spirit of bondage, you must maintain a strong spiritual drive to exercise yourself, making a deliberate effort to involve your life with the anointed liberties that God has given you. As a child of God, you should intentionally avoid being entangled with anything that can put you back in bondage. Right? God, the testimonies of the people that are a part of this church, amen, the testimonies of what he brought you out, it's foolish to go back and flirt with those things again, knowing that you were headed for a devil's hell and your families were being destroyed and God delivered you. Why would you want to even get close to those things again? However, not does God not just want you to become entangled with that thing again, God also wants you to intentionally immerse yourself in spiritual liberties such as worship, prayer, working for God, and so many other things. For instance, if you have, become, if you have come out of drug or alcohol addiction, perhaps the chief thing to keep you from tumbling back into that bondage is to become addicted to those spiritual liberties that God gives to his people. Perhaps this is the heartbeat referenced by the writer in describing the motivation behind one named group of God's children so successful and valuable to the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 15. You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. All right, the, the important thing to understand is the context of this passage. This was written to the church at Corinth. If you do any study on the church at Corinth any, at all, you will find that Corinth was the most vile, wicked, deceitful city that you could live in. All right? in, in fact, that it was kind of a slogan, a, a slang, that, that uh, evil vices, they would, they would refer to them as living like a Corinthian. All right? If you were bound by some wicked addiction or you were living some evil life, that they would liken that to the city of Corinth. It was known for its vile nature. But the reason that these saints could be what God wanted them to become because not only did they come out of that pagan culture, but they addicted themselves to the spiritual liberty that God had given them and had totally devoted themselves to working in the service of the saints. It's not a hard thing for God to deliver you from alcoholism. It's not a hard thing for God to deliver you from drug addiction. It's not a hard thing for God to do that, but if that's gonna remain in your life, you need to become addicted to worship. You need to become addicted to praise. You need to become addicted to the house of God. Amen. They exercise their liberty to be used of God. They seem to understand that staying free of the demonic spirit of bondage required giving themselves totally to the spiritual liberties that God had bestowed. All right, so I want us to, in your living room, here, stand together. Music team, I want us to sing that song 
one more time. I'm going to click back over to the Facebook live stream, and I just want to see. I can't see you guys, but I can see your statements on there coming up on the screen. So I just want to uh, say I love you all. Uh, one thing that, I, you know, I, I forget this from time to time. Brother Peoples is usually the one that reminds me about the offering. Uh, obviously, we don't have ushers here right now to receive your offering, but I would ask those of you that could, uh, that will, that want to make sure the church, you know, when this is all over, that the lights are still on, the doors are still open. Amen. Don't forget online giving. Uh, our church website, www.livinghopemd.com. Uh, we also have a church app, Living Hope MD is the name of the church app. You can download that from the Apple Store. Is that, I, that may not be up right now. I know Sister Monk was working on it, but um, do we have, can you put the information up right now for the giving? Do we still have that slide? Okay, Pastor forgets from time to time. Hey, I miss you all too. Thank you. I love you guys. I'm going to let them sing, and I'm just going to sit here and read y'all's statements while they sing. And I'm praying for you guys. All right, in fact, right now as we end, I'm just going to put the microphone. I'm going to pray for you all.